Well, music really leads us into the heart of worship, doesn't it? Thank the Lord for people who have the ability to pluck strings and hit keys and keep on tune and that kind of thing. So thank you all for what you do, Hamp. Appreciate it. Thank you, Missy and Steve. Thanks for joining in. We're looking forward to the day where we can have our whole worship team back up here. And uh, boy, that'll be awesome, won't it? All right. Well, in case you haven't noticed, we're living in some stressful days. Have you felt that? Yeah, some of you are shaking your head. No, that's good. Praise the Lord. Yeah, stressful days. There's no doubt about it. We're living in a day where there's just uh, seemingly the world going crazy. Um, but praise the Lord, God is not crazy. God knows exactly what he's doing. And isn't it joyful to be able to sing the songs that we just sang? Um, whether you like the tune or the sound or anything like that or not is kind of immaterial when you look at the lyrics and you just pay attention to what real worship is from the heart. So speaking of that, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, we'll see what he has for us today. Father, we gather ourselves together under your hum, uh, under humble and open hearts uh, to really just lift ourselves up to you, and we thank you that we have this privilege as we are watching in our world, our country now, going through some very challenging times and uh, very radical times, really, even as far as the church is concerned. Uh, Lord, we're seeing across our land where there are those that are still being uh, requested not to open and some now that are being required not to open. And so, Lord, we would just stop for a minute to thank you for the privilege we're having right now to gather uh, here in person, uh, doing what we can to be careful, but also to have the privilege of sending this out over the, the Internet and uh, get your word out. Lord, your word is like a lion and if we just open the cage, it'll go out and do its work in our hearts. And so we pray that as uh, your word is delivered today, that uh, you'll remove me from the mix and uh, remove ourselves, but that we would be hearers of your word and then doers of your word. Thank you for this subject for today. Thank you that it will be uh, challenging to some. For some, it'll be uh, a subject that maybe doesn't have as much relevance but Lord, we thank you for how your word always brings clarity and truth to us about how we should live. So uh, we praise you and we honor you and we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, like I said, the world seems to be going crazy. And I think at times like this, if you could call it this, I don't know what times like this is uh, because we've not experienced anything like what we're going through. It's imperative for us to be truth tellers. Uh, for us to be people who speak righteousness, that we live righteously, and that the world sees our example of what it means to be righteous people. You know, there's a lot of confusion today about about what is right and what's not right. Uh, we're living in a culture, we've belabored this uh, over and over again, but we're living in a culture where right is no longer right, and wrong is right, and wrong right is wrong, and it's just kind of a mess. And so uh, for God's people, it's important that we begin every moment of our life with living the truth. And that comes out of our hearts. When our hearts are pure before the Lord, then our mouths will speak purity. Right? Amen? When our hearts are right before the Lord, our mouths will speak purity. And uh, again, during this time, most people are so overwhelmed with stress. Uh, it's just coming out in some strange ways. Some of you are trying to figure out uh, what's going to happen with my children uh, for the school year. 
Uh, what's this going to look like? I'm not sure about clarity with all of that. Uh, even those of you who work in the school system are not even sure what's going to be happening. So that brings an added dimension to all of this. The, the economy, uh, we're hearing more rumors, if that's what you want to call them, about a crash coming. You know, that's kind of swirls around all the time, but uh, there is that uncertainty. But people wonder, is it true? Is it going to happen? What's that going to really look like? Um, not to mention the staying away from each other. You know, God's people are so tired of that. You know, we just want fellowship. We hunger for the fellowship. And to wear the mask or not, and, you know, some of you have said before, what we don't want to happen is the mask people to be one location, the unmasked people to be in the other location. So continually I would ask you to just be patient uh, with one another as we work our way through these times. And let's love each other in a proper way so that we can uh, really display the love of Christ in the way that we should be displaying him. Now, again, all of that leads, all of what I'm talking about here just leads to a lot of unwanted stress. And it comes out in some strange ways. Uh, One of the ways that we're going to see today that Jesus talks about, not specifically about our situation, but he's going to talk about the subject of lying, specifically through vows and oaths, which has been a confusing subject for people. So we're just working our way now through the sermon, and these are the subjects that our Lord addresses, and if he addresses them, then they must be important, right? And so we want to pay attention to what the Lord is telling us here. So in Jesus' day, it was not uncommon to lie, Uh, unfortunately, among the religious leaders, which is who he's really going after in this. But the people are listening and hearing what he's teaching all along. So let's stand and read uh, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33, for his next little section or statement, if you will, that he wants the people to understand. He says, again, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no, Anything beyond these is of evil. All right. Amen. You may be seated. So very simply, as I thought through a title for this, I decided on your word should be enough. Your word should be enough or your word should be good enough. However you want to say that. Now, if you didn't gather this already, I was alluding to the fact that our world is full of lies. It really is full of lies. I'm going to try to prove that to you through some statements and through some illustrations to help you to realize that this really is a true statement. Now, some people who don't think they're lying think they're only stretching the truth. And in their minds, that's okay. I'm just stretching the truth a little bit. Or they'll call it just a little white lie, and nobody has any real issues with that. It's not that big of a deal. But then there are still others who think lying is essential to get what they want. Now, I found an article in Psychology Today that was dated uh, 2017, but it's interesting because it's titled Six Reasons People Lie When They Don't Need To. And he gives to us, the author does, who is a psychologist himself, says that number one, people lie because to them the the lie does matter. To them, the lie does matter. In other words, he says, the number one reason people lie when it just doesn't matter is because they actually think it does matter. While everyone around them thinks it's 
inconsequential issue, the liar believes it's critically important. They may be putting undeserved emphasis or pressure on themselves or on the issue, but you won't know it unless you ask them. So in other words, they think, no, this is critical enough to me. It does matter, so I'll tell the lie. Number two, telling the truth feels like giving up control, and that would probably be the case for most people. If I don't lie, then people are going to find me out, and I'll be less in control of my life and the scenario, and so i got to keep this going, and so I'll tell the lie to make myself look good. They don't want to be to disappoint you, which is what I was saying just now. Is it number three is that I don't want to disappoint you, so it's better for me to tell a lie and keep my story going so that I don't look bad. Some people will call it saving face. Remember, uh, you remember Jim and Sterling O'Neill, who were with us some time ago. They mission, were missionaries in the Philippines for quite a few years. And one of the things that Brother Jim told us was when they were there, that, and this is not unique to these people, but it's just the situation of life, is that they would often tell you, the Filipino people would often tell you that, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to show up for the Bible study. I'll be there at this, amount, this certain time and no problem and never show up. And he said, I really had to str- I struggled with that. I didn't understand why. Well, to them, they had no intention of showing up. Now, this is not all Filipino people, so, but this is just a cultural kind of thing. It's called saving face. I'm going to tell you that I'm going to do something, but I have no intention of really keeping it. And so that was the scenario there. Number four was the lies snowball. In other words, I tell a lie, so I got to tell another lie in order to keep this thing going and not look good or not look bad. I got to keep it going so because if I don't, it'll all come crashing down and I'll be the fool in it all. Number five, it's not a lie to them. This is very similar to number one, in my opinion. When they're under pressure, they think that lying is, is the best thing to do because it will help me in that situation. Number six, they really want it to be true. So people will actually lie because they're just so hoping by telling the lie long enough that it will come true. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of a thing. So strange. You know, people have a lot of different ways of dealing with life, um, and lying is just one of them. And so in this message, the Lord is addressing lying. Again, the Lord said, evidently in his mind, this was a critical enough subject to deal with, and so he does. Because he wants us to see how damaging it is to ourselves and to others and to God and his name particularly. Now, as he's been doing in this series of messages, he's using the religious leaders as his illustration to make his point. As I was telling the other service, aren't you glad that you're not the person who Jesus uses as the illustration? I mean, can you imagine just for a minute if through all humanity people open the Bible and there's your name as the example besides some of these things? Well, it may not be as far off as you think. Even if it's not written in the paper or on the page, it certainly is written in heaven as God keeps a record of all of our works. So we know now that the Jewish leaders were very proud people who paraded themselves as being better than others, but really they're ranking of themselves was only on the outside. Inwardly, they were very arrogant. They were full of themselves, if you will, and full of their own desire for control and power. Uh, People who denied their sin, who didn't want to acknowledge that that's what it was, so that they could be the elite of the nation. And that's a lot of the reason what this guy was saying in his article. People lie because they want to look good in front of other people. 
And Jesus knew this about them, and that's why he says in various places in Matthew that we're going to look at, Matthew chapter 23, he calls them whitewashed tombs. And we don't have whitewashed tombs in our culture, but in Jesus' day that was a very relevant picture for them, and so a tomb would be all pretty on the outside, but his point was on the inside it's just full of dead people. That's what you look like. I mean, that's how you're parading yourself here, because externally you look so great. You look like you got it all together, but internally your heart is really all wrong. And so his point is to the people, to you and me, don't follow those people. Don't follow these guys because what God really wants is the purity of the heart. He's after the cleanliness of the heart, which is what Jesus said in verse 26 of Matthew 23. First, clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside may also be clean. And that's really been the Lord's point through this whole thing. He is pointing out continuously how unrighteous and unpure we really are. And he's using them as an illustration. But we're watching this because we need to see what he's wanting to say to us in these same subjects. So back to the religious leaders for just a second. Their false hope was that they could obtain salvation by themselves. And that happens to a lot of people too. They thought that in their minds they could do it on their own. They didn't have to be the way everybody thought they should be. They didn't have to humble themselves. Because if they did, then that would give them an impression of weakness. And they wouldn't be the people that they wanted to be in their own heart. So to trust God just for his grace certainly wasn't the answer. I mean, that's ridiculous. And people will say that today. How in the world can I get to heaven by just trusting in God's grace or by faith when I can't see this? Just had a conversation with somebody about this just yesterday. How in the world can I trust a God that I can't see? So it's much better for me to work on myself and I'll display myself in a way that certainly if there is a God, he will be proud of and he'll want me to come to be a part of his heaven. Now, I'm elaborating on that, not that it's in the text that way, but that's certainly the mindset of how people operate. And so they pushed their own belief and agenda so much that the people began to adopt and believe what they were teaching them. You remember, as we've studied through these subjects, they thought, for example, as long as you didn't kill anybody physically, you were fine. But the Lord comes along and says, you don't get the point. If you hate somebody in your heart, then it's the same thing as killing somebody. That was a dagger to them in the heart as the Lord addresses the inward part of them. You remember then he addresses this subject of committing adultery and they say, hey, you know, it's fine as long as we don't actually fulfill the act. We're pure, we're clean. Look how great we are, kind of. But the Lord then comes along and says, no, if you've even had a thought that's wrong, towards another person in a sexually uh, unhealthy and unwhole way, then you've committed adultery in your heart. And then as we saw through our little mini-series, he addresses the issue of divorce. And they thought, well, gosh, I can just get a divorce for anything, and that'll set me free from my problems. So they made everything okay, but the Lord comes along and says, no. I'm telling you back to the beginning, what the Lord really says is unless it's for adultery or fornication, you make yourself an adulterer and the persons involved. And so the Lord is really clarifying their wrong attitudes because they were leading people, beloved, not to God. They were leading people away from God. They were literally leading people into the pit of hell by their belief system, causing Jesus to say of them, you are blind guides. 
You're blind guides. I can't think of anything more damaging to a person in leadership or a person who has some type of uh, uh, control over another or impression over another, like even a father or a mother or somebody even of that nature, for the Lord to say, can you imagine the Lord saying to you, you're a blind guide? What a devastating thing to hear from the Lord. Now, why would he say that? Because God wants our hearts to be pure. He's after our hearts. He wants them to be right, not so concerned about the external systems of our life. He's not so concerned about what we look like and think about how we look ourselves to other people. And so now he's going to say to them, you think you're examples of the truth? After these other illustrations, I'll tell you what you really are. You're just a bunch of liars. You're just a bunch of liars. That's what he is saying. The righteousness that God requires comes out of those who put their trust in me, not in what they do, not in how they are in this life. And that's why he says in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? There is no righteous status outside of me. And so his whole purpose in the sermon is to convince the people of their sinfulness. And I hope you understand, after all these years of looking at the Bible and preaching through the word of the Lord and the Bible studies that we do, the main focus of everything God does is to point out our weaknesses, to show us how desperately we need him. I hope you see that. It's so critical that we understand that. Where God is saying, and he's already said in this sermon, no, everyone who comes to me must be like a beggar. And doesn't that just kind of grate against your human flesh? Nobody wants to be around a beggar. Nobody wants to grovel over something. But the Lord says, no, unless you see your unrighteousness that way and come to me begging for my forgiveness and mourning over your sin, hungering The word is starving for righteousness that only I can give you. You're undone. You don't get it. You miss the point. And by the way, you'll miss heaven. You'll miss the kingdom. And so he says you must see yourself as lost and undone unless without Christ as your substitute, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. That's the entire purpose of this this message. And as you remember, Jesus would use the illustration of the, the tax collector. In Luke chapter 18, standing some distance away, as the quote, was even willing, unwilling, listen to these words, unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. This poor man understood his weakness spiritually so clearly that he wasn't even willing to look his eyes up to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know what would happen? And I'm just going to generalize here. Do you know what would happen if you and I saw someone like this? We would get uncomfortable, wouldn't we? Why would we get uncomfortable? We would get uncomfortable because it's a strange kind of thing for an adult person or any human being to admit their weaknesses and admit their faults. And to display it in this kind of act would be unheard of. It's weird. It's strange. It's standoffish. Remember Brother William when he said, uh, he was telling the story, William Washington, he was telling the story. This particularly caught my attention because I think it fits well with the sermon here from Jesus when he walked into Lowe's years ago and he saw a guy down on his hands and face and he was praying and crying out to the Lord. 
You remember William's statement? He says, I thought, well, see, Lord, this is why people don't like Christians. Because they're weird. Right? That was the impression that he got, but he soon learned later that that's not the case. But that's the whole point that Jesus is saying. Look, you've got to abandon who you are. If you're going to come into my kingdom, you must abandon yourself and fully commit yourself and embrace me for who I am. And now he wants to address another subject, and that's the subject of lying. Now, you may sit here today and say, well, I'm not a liar. I would never consider such a thing. I mean, that is just outside of my personality. It's outside my belief system. And everything that I believe is right. And I would say, I hope that's certainly true. But the reality is, we are all sinners. Now, we're saved by God's grace. And I'm talking to God's people. We're saved by God's grace. But we still have what I call this residual sin in us, right? We feel it. We act upon it regularly. And we are all sinners. We... Meaning, we tell lies at times. There are times where we do that, every now and then. And why is that? Well, because of what I just said, but also because we were once part of Satan's work. And you remember what the Lord refers, how the Lord refers to Satan? He calls him the father of what? Of lies. He's the father of lies. He even identifies some of the religious leaders as, you follow your father, Satan, who is a liar and a deceiver from the beginning. Well, you see, when we came into this world, the Bible tells us that we were born into sin. That makes us, by default, people who have the tendency to lie. It is part of us. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that if we tell a fib as God's people or we tell a white lie or even if we lie, hopefully that doesn't happen, that God is going to cast us into eternal darkness. That's not the case. We're safe, praise his name, right? We're safe with the Lord. But it is true that the Lord wants us to be careful about the way we live our lives. It's imperative, and we'll wrap all this up with some of those thoughts as we get to the end of the message. But for now, listen to what the Lord says about our tongue. These are very familiar passages. There's no rocket science in this. This is just clear teaching from the Lord. He says, look at the ships though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder. I'm reading from James chapter 3. Wherever the inclination of the pilot desires, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire? And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body. And sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. Verse 8 But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Boy, what a description. With it we bless our Lord. Think about this for just a second. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in the likeness of God. You ever think about that? As we're saying things about other people, as we're just giving out our little, well, it's not as we call um, gossip. I'm just giving you some information. That's kind of how we justify ourselves, right? 
But the Lord is very stern on this and says, how in the world can we come in on a Sunday morning and worship the Lord in singing and praising and saying to everyone how blessed it is to be together and we'll turn around and say something about somebody as if that was okay. It ought not be that way, James says. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, the Lord says to the Pharisees and the scribes, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? In other words, it's not possible. For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. You know what the problem is with you guys, he's saying? Your heart is wicked. That's why you speak the way you do and live the way you do. In Matthew 15, he'll say something very similar. The things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. In other words, the mouth tells what's going on in the heart, beloved. We have reiterated this ad nauseum over the years. But we have to keep doing it for ourselves, and I'm talking to me, because we fail in this so badly. We fail, we fail, we fail. You know... It's like the seminary professor said to us in class, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. It doesn't matter what's down there. Whatever's down there is going to come up. And if we speak out things in a wrong kind of way, then all we're doing is revealing our heart. Let me give you just a little heads up. And I may not be accurate about this. I'm kind of totally guessing, but I think I'm accurate. You know when you're doing your texting on your phone? And you send a text to somebody and it inadvertently puts a curse word in there? Has that ever happened to you? Of course not. It does happen at times. And you know the reality? Is that because it's picked up on the normal language that typically comes out. And you say, Pastor, you talk like that? I wasn't talking about me. I was talking about you. Because... It's true, we don't use that kind of language. But there are some who use that language in the language that's not good a lot. And so even a telephone will reveal the nature of our heart. Now, this is my guess, okay? I don't have any technical proof to verify that. But I think we could say from the Lord, certainly, that whatever is in our heart is eventually going to come out of our mouth. Paul says to the Colossian church, do not lie to one another. Now, why would he say that? He's talking to the church. Because the church has a tendency to lie at times. It happens. And so we need to listen to what the Lord is saying here because our tongues will speak out of what the heart says. So when we tell a little white lie or one big one, it tells something's wrong in the heart. Something's wrong. And we do embellish the truth. There's no question about it. We fabricate it. We shade it. We exaggerate it. Such as when we tell the doctor our body weight. Right? Well, how much do you weigh? Oh, and we'll adjust that number, right? We tell the bank, we certainly, I I, I thought for sure I had enough money in that account, even though we knew that there wasn't enough money in there. In business, when it comes to revealing numbers fully, so we get the top commission. Okay, Now, if you're not in business and you've never had that issue, this doesn't apply to you, but maybe tax season does. When it comes to reporting all the income, You say, well, you know, the government doesn't care whether I make cash. Really, have you read the law? Because the government does care whether you make cash and claim cash. So we do these things. Um, Realtors, Brother Bill, this is no reflection on you by any stretch. This has to do with what's written often. 
I like to look on Zillow every now and then, and often there will be, well, let's put it this way, embellished words and language over homes. And I found one just the other day that I thought was kind of neat, and it's just a small home. And uh, Anyway, the wording was a little different from what I was seeing on the pictures, and it says, plenty of room to spread out in this large one-level home nestled near the end of a cul-de-sac. Doesn't that just sound like paradise? I mean, just awesome. This is not the typical ranch in this neighborhood as an addition was put on about 20 years ago by the current owner. Wow, 20 years ago. That's all? Well, they're probably ready for renovations three or four times by now. Lots of potential with a chance to put your own touch on it with some cosmetic updates. Now, what are they saying? This place is a piece of junk, right? I mean, that's how I read that. You're going to have to put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into this. But boy, it sounds good, doesn't it? Because it sells. I'm not particularly pointing anybody out. It's just the reality of the way we live. I don't have to mention the used car salesmen. They've always gotten a bad rap. If you've sold cars, praise the Lord. That's good for you. I hope you've just been honest about it. We will often say when we sell something, oh yeah, uh, you know, it needs a little work, but I drive it all the time. When you probably have not driven it for a while. I didn't see that leak under there. How in the, where in the world did that come from? And then, of course, I don't have to bring up the lawyers. Uh, That's self-explanatory in a lot of ways. (laughs) There are doctors, though. And listen, now, this is a serious business today. You know, think about where we are. Uh, We're hearing one thing from some doctors. We're hearing another thing from other doctors. And we're finding ourselves more and more confused. And when these things don't match, we're smart enough to stand back and say, somebody's lying here. Something's not right, right? And so here we have even people that we would hold up in the academic world in this realm as well. Advertising, uh, you won't want to miss this deal, right? We'll embellish those things. If you've ever had a yard sale, it's kind of the same thing as I was saying about the car. Well, it was working before I brought it out here, you know, um, and those things like that. In school reports, kids will say, well, I didn't know I had a test today or tomorrow. Or I thought my grades were better than what they were reporting on the piece of paper. Or I did clean my room. You know, and on and on and on it goes. I'm just giving you a little snippet of things. And of course, certainly in politics, that kind of goes along with lawyers. And please understand, I'm being silly here because there are some good godly people in these positions. I'm just trying to make a point here and thank the Lord for those godly people. But the reality is, beloved, even preachers lie. It's true. Uh, I don't know how many times I've had conversations with people and asked the question of, well, you know, how's, how's your church doing? Oh, doing great. Well, how many people are you coming in attendance? Oh, I don't know, about a thousand? No. You know, people will embellish a lot of things. I, I was telling the early ser- uh, service, one of the uh, things that's really challenged my heart a lot is I, I get a every so often report from uh, a missionary group on churches that are overseas that define for us uh, how many salvations and baptism have occurred. Now, I'm reading between the lines, and God knows my heart, and I'll repent of this if I'm wrong, but I think I'm accurate with this. Often those reports will say there were five, six, seven, eight hundred salvations. But when you look at the baptism column right beside it, it'll say zero. Now, 
I'm not God, and I'm glad that God understands the heart of every person, but I'm just simply saying that it's very easy for no matter who we are to embellish the truth to make ourselves look better or to make a scenario look better or to keep ourselves from being in trouble or whatever it might be. And this is what the Lord is addressing with these religious leaders. Some of the most famous American fibs, if you couldn't find yourself in those others, would be things like this. You remember this old line, the check is in the mail? Okay, where you knew that, oh shoot, i got to get those people some money but you already told them the check was in the mail. Or this one is one of the most favorite for a lot of people is, yeah, I'll start my diet tomorrow with no intention of doing that. Uh, Some people will say, we service what we sell. And you call them and there is no warranty, there is no help, there's no customer service. Give me your number and the doctor will call you right back. We've heard that before. And uh, this one is uh, uh, something that I've actually heard and seen happen where a secretary will pick up a phone and say, yeah, um, I'll get that message to them, but no, uh, they're not here right now, and they can't talk when they're standing right beside you. Those kind of things happen. Here's another one, money cheerfully refunded. Well, that's a lie. Nobody ever refunds money cheerfully. One size fits all. Right? That's a whopper. (laughs) Yes, I hear that. This offer limited to the first 100 people who call in. Your luggage isn't lost, it's just misplaced. Leave your resume and we'll keep it on file. Yeah, I've heard that one before. This hurts me more than it hurts you. I just need five minutes of your time. Your table will be ready in a few minutes. Open wide, this won't hurt a bit. Let's have some lunch sometime. Or... One that's not even listed in here is, and this is one we're really guilty of, is I'll be praying for you. Right? Well-intentioned, but we often say things that are not true. So the truth is, beloved, we lie because lies are a part of us. And again, you're going to have to decipher for yourself where you fit into this. The Lord is just giving us his point here. And the reality is everybody knows that that's the tendency of our culture. That's the tendency of human nature. That's why you and I have to fill out things like contracts. The whole purpose of a contract is because people know people lie and they can't take their word for it anymore. So we have to go through all this paperwork to make sure that you're telling the truth. And if you're not telling the truth, you're still going to be held accountable for it anyway. That's why you have to sign the receipt every time you purchase something because you're saying to those people, I'm going to pay for this. When you're saying in yourself, of course I'm going to pay for this. Well, they're saying, I don't believe you, so sign this right here because humanity lies. It's reality, right? That's why we take tests to prove we've been held accountable for something that we've said we've passed. Wouldn't you just love to find out that your brain surgeon never went to school for brain surgery? That'd be horrible, right? They're held accountable by their degree, their diploma. That piece of paper hangs on the wall so others can see it because it's easy to lie and say that this wasn't reality or this was reality when it didn't really actually happen in reality. I remember years ago, uh, and he's left now, this was after I left seminary, but a sad story came out about the dean of the seminary at Liberty University. And this is all public knowledge. You can read all about it. It's all over the place. Uh, Back in... 
uh, 08, I think it was. I don't remember exactly what year it was. Maybe it was 2014, something. Anyway, where the dean uh, who was of the uh, Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary had written a book with his brother and had sold hundreds of thousands of copies. And he was just a well-sought-out speaker and incredible preacher, really was, full of humor and just a great, great speaker and teacher of the Bible. But he and his brother had put together, authored, co-authored a book that was uh, about their lives. And it was uh, predicated upon the fact that they both were raised in a Muslim home and trained as terrorists. Okay? But they had miraculously converted to Christianity. Now, I'm not denying their salvation. But it later came out that there was no truth to those two things. They were not raised in a Muslim home and they weren't raised to train, weren't trained as terrorists. But that's what they had done. This was the dean of the seminary. And so Liberty got rid of them, of course. You remember, if you watch the Food Channel, Robert Irvine, I kind of like Robert. He does a Restaurant Impossible. He used to do a show called Dinner Impossible. Big, hulky guy. He's, a, he's a, quite the guy, from what I understand, if you read some of the articles. Uh, but I found this back in 08. This is the date I was thinking about. Where Robert Irvine embellished his credentials in order to hold on to his job, basically, with the Food Network. He said things like that he was part of the British knighthood. He had baked a wedding cake for the marriage of his close friend, Prince Charles and Princess Diana, and owned a castle in Scotland. Well, they found out about it. Somebody was able to determine that this was not accurate. And he later said, quote, when I met people with all this money, it was like trying to keep up with the Joneses, unquote. He told the St. Petersburg Times via The Guardian, Quote, I was stupid in a bar one night, and that came out. It was stupid. But he lost his job. And that was a very well-known story if you're followers of the Food Network channel. And on and on it goes. There are people that have had this issue. But boy, wouldn't it be wonderful to live in a world that there is no lies, or there are no lies? Well, that place does exist. It's called heaven. But guess who's to be the examples of what that place looks like and what that place is actually going to be like? It is you and me. We are to be the ones who are to clarify for the watching world that we are truth tellers. So let's quickly go through a couple thoughts here. and We'll be able to get through this pretty fast. What Jesus is doing in these verses, there are basically three things. Number one, he's going to explain to these people what should be known, what they should have known. Secondly, he's going to tell them how they've distorted the truth. And then he's going to explain how you really should be living. So very, very straightforward. So what should they have known? Well, he says in verse 33, you've heard that the ancients were told. This is the way he's bringing up all these subjects. In other words, this is the teaching that you have misread and misunderstood. You've distorted it. You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Well, if you look in the Bible, you're not going to find that verse particularly word for word. What you'll find is a conglomeration or collection of meanings from Old Testament passages that Jesus uses when he delivers this statement. The correct interpretation was, when you make a vow, be sure to invoke God as your witness. Now hold on with me through this because this will be interesting for you. The actual statements from the Lord and from the oaths came from Leviticus 19, or for these oaths came from Leviticus 19. You shall not swear falsely by my name. This is God saying this. He's not saying you shall not swear or make an oath, but he's saying do it by my name. In Numbers 30, 
Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the word which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate it. Deuteronomy 23, verse 21, When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay for it. However, if you refrain, verse 22, from vowing it would be a sin to you, you should be careful to perform what goes out of your lips, just as you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised. The Lord's point simply is, if you make a vow, it is to be made in the name or in his name. And meaning, and if that's the case, you better keep it. You better keep it. Because what you're doing is calling on God to be a witness of your statement. You're literally saying to the Lord, in the presence of these people or this person, based on this situation, I am invoking God to hold me accountable for what I'm saying or what I'm planning on doing here. And beloved, that's a very serious thing to do. And God is saying is, you will be disciplined and cursed, basically, Israel, if you don't keep your vow that you've promised before me. But to them, that is the religious leaders now, they had come a lot of years, and to make themselves look good, swearing or oath-taking or making vows was a way to elevate themselves. It made them look better. It was as if they were saying, I'm so serious about this, I'm going to make a vow over this, and you'll think me better for it. And so the people would look at them and say, well, gosh, they're one of the religious leaders, and they've made this vow. Certainly this must be true. This must be accurate. But they had no intention of keeping the vow of the oath or the vow of the oath. So just understand that what God is talking about here, a biblical oath or a vow was when you called on the name of the Lord as a witness. Okay, that's what Jesus is clarifying here. But interestingly, we still do this. And there are times where we do this. If you've ever had to go to a courtroom, one of the things they still do, interestingly, is you have to Agree with God, right? That you're going to tell the truth. You're invoking the name of God. You're standing before the judge and all the people there and you're saying, if I don't keep this vow, God is my witness. That's a very serious thing. If you've been in a biblical wedding, you know that still most pastors will have their uh, bride and, and groom recite some kind of vow that holds them accountable to God so that they're seeing the seriousness of their vow. When the president takes office, he is still giving an oath under God. And that's still the way it is. And the reason we do all of that, or call on people to do that, is because people are sinful. And they need to be held accountable for what they're saying. People have a hard time keeping their commitments. So a vow was designed by God not to be something wrong or not to do, but to call upon him as the witness of that truth because God is the one who has the final say. So again, people have taught that oath-making or swearing out some truth or some commitment is wrong, but that's not the case because even God himself does this in those verses that we saw. God makes oaths himself, but guess who he makes oaths to? Himself. Because there is nobody greater. There's nobody higher than God. So who am I going to call upon, God would say, to hold me accountable to this? Oh, I'll call upon myself because I am perfect and pure in all my ways. And you see that in Hebrews 6, verse 13. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, 
he swore to himself or swore by himself. In the Genesis account, which is where this Hebrews passage comes from or is taken from, it's when Abraham has made the promise before the Lord about his son Isaac. And he says, the angel says to the Lord, call Abraham a second time from heaven. In verse 16, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Notice that, by myself I have sworn. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only, only son. In other words, God's saying, Abraham, I see what you've done. You've fulfilled what I've asked you to do. And now, by my own promise, I will fulfill this and hold myself accountable. So, what's the point? The point is, vows and oaths are not wrong. God has made them himself. But he is very serious about them. And he's saying to us, be careful how you make a vow. It is a very, very challenging thing to do that or you will be greatly challenged if you don't keep it you will come under the discipline of the lord so jesus is really affirming everything that the lord had taught but how the leaders now needed to be corrected so god is saying if you're going to make an oath it's only me as your witness now just understand as jesus is making this clear it's not wrong to make an oath but they are reserved for very serious times so that's number one. That's what they were should have understood. And that's what we need to understand. But how had they distorted this? How had they really done this? Let's look, because he gives us some illustrations. Verse 34. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven. And he calls out these various examples. For it is the throne of God. Or by earth, for it's the footstool of God's feet. Or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. In other words, now he's saying that again because the Jewish leaders thought they could make themselves more credible by swearing oaths no matter what the oath was they were swearing to. It didn't matter. Whatever they could do to make themselves look good. And again, when a person makes an oath, they're doing it because they're serious, right? That's what we've determined. Like when someone says, I hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. You ever said that before when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 this is true. I hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Well, guess what? I was never going to stick a needle in my eye. Were you? I was never hoping to die. If I told my brother something and didn't come true, I would. No, but I wanted him to believe that it was true. It's the same kind of thing. I mean, that statement sounds so incredible and so terrible at the same time. But in reality, it's just what they wanted to... It's something to make us look serious. To make us look as if we're the one who is really going to fulfill what we say we're going to fulfill. So in the same way, Pharisees and scribes thought, hey, you know what? The people look at us more holy and more above them if we make a vow and we keep the vow and so they made vows about everything every little thing that came along he says jesus tells us they swore by this or that by heaven by the throne of god they even swear by jerusalem or the earth or by themselves and all those are real serious things but they weren't calling god as their witness now why weren't they doing that because they understood enough to know if you call on God as your witness, you better hold yourself accountable for it because God's going to hold, yourself, hold you accountable for it. So they would make promises to sound good, but they had no intention of keeping them. Their oaths were just for show to make themselves look good. It's kind of like the same thing of crossing your fingers behind your back when somebody tells you something, right? 
Now, none of you have ever done this. I know I'm talking to perfect people here. And there are people who may be out there in internet land that are agreeing that they've done this, but none of you have ever done this, right? No. Sure you haven't. Of course you haven't. So we played those games where, you know, no cross, you know, I'm the, I hold my hands behind my back like this. You know, I'm not really, you know, people do that kind of thing, or at least they were brought up that way that that's okay. So Jesus' correction then to them is, look, just stop doing that. Again, this is not rocket science. You're creating yourself to be something that you're not. Stop making false oaths. Stop trying to make yourself look better with a vow that you never intended to keep. Besides, when you swear by the throne of God and think that God's not a part of it, that's ridiculous. Because guess where God is? Seated on his throne. So when you say, by God's throne, then you're already invoking God, but you're pretending like you're not. You can't swear to the earth because that's his too. It all belongs to the Lord. You can't even swear by Jerusalem because that's him. That's his city, the holy city. And guess what? You can't swear by the color of your head either because you have no way of making a difference in the color of your hair before hair dyes came out. right? But the Lord doesn't. This was before the days of Clairol and all those other things that you buy online. But you understand the point. The Lord is talking about the heart here. What he's basically saying is that any vow you make, God is in control of it. God is everywhere. God knows every situation. Whatever you touch in this life belongs to God. Whatever you say in this life belongs to God. In other words, there is no distinction between the secular and the sacred, which is what people often try to make happen. We try to divide ourselves. Like, oh, I better not say this or that while I'm at the church. And then go right out the door and talk like somebody's whatever. Or we'll say, I better not dress like that when I go to the church, and but I'll do this outside the church. You know, we create these environments where we think one is better than the other. And the point is, Jesus is simply saying to these people, look, you cannot remove yourself from God anywhere. He's everywhere. He knows you. He knows what you do. That's why the text of Scripture says He knows when we lie down, when we rise up. He knows our thoughts before we even think them. If you translate that into our life today, you put whatever subject you want to put in there. If you lie in your business, for example, it's no different than lying in the presence of God. God is there. If you lie about your abilities on a job resume to make yourself look better on LinkedIn or whatever, guess who made you? God did. And God will have a word about all of that if you're not telling the truth. So to make a vow to anyone about anything calls on God anyway. It really calls on God anyway because he owns everything about us and is everything about us. You can't separate what's God's and what's not God's. But people still try to do that. You'll hear people say, as I said a minute ago, different categories and different ideas about what they think is right. But we can't do that. Listen, Jesus would deal with this later again in Matthew 23. He says basically the same thing. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that, sacrificed, that sanctified the gold? 
And whoever swears by the altar, that's nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sacrifices the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears by both the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and him who sits upon it. In other words, same thing. You cannot separate what belongs to God and what doesn't belong to God. You are always under the watchful eye of God. Meaning that you expose your heart when you give a vow or you make a promise that you have no intention of keeping. Or at least you're not sure whether you can keep it or not. Jesus is saying, you're liars and your system exposes your heart. Now what's he doing, beloved? What God is doing through all of this sermon, and let's keep reiterating this, is he wants desperately for the people to see how unrighteous they are. It's not until we come to the place of that kind of unrighteousness when we see who we really are that we see how desperately we need Christ. How desperately we need God. How hungry we need to be for the Lord to forgive us, to move us to be the kind of people that we really want to be. To promise something that we cannot keep as a promise is rotten from the core. Now you and I dismiss that as if it's no big deal. But the Lord is saying, that's a foul heart. That's a foul heart. That's a rotten heart. That's a soul that needs to be purified. And we would stand back and say, those of us who have felt the purifying effects of the Lord, yes, Lord, that's me. I understand that. I understand that no matter where you are, you're there. And no matter what I say or what I do, I'm under the divine pressure to repent as I see my wickedness before you so that I can be the person that you want me to be. And so the Lord is ripping the cover off. He's exposing the depths of the heart, which we have to have him do if we're going to be his true people so that we will repent and turn to him for salvation. That's what he's doing. So don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid when you feel the compulsion of the Holy Spirit pointing out certain areas of life, this one particularly today. We should catch ourselves when we hear ourselves fabricating or embellishing something and realize, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul because I am a liar at the heart. That's what our sin does to us. But he purifies us through the blood of his son so that we can be in his presence. Remember what Brother William said to us a couple weeks ago, Brother William Washington? He said, listen, what God is looking for is Jesus in us. We don't get to heaven by our own good merit. We don't become blessed children of God by our own good merit. No, we get to heaven and we become his children because of Jesus in us. That's it. Not by anything else. So to fabricate our lives in any way whatsoever is to take away from the grace that God has given to us through his son. We should always elevate Jesus. All right, finally now, quickly, in Matthew 37, chapter 5, 37, Jesus explains how we should be living. Very simple, final statement. Let your statement be yes, yes, and no, no. Anything else is just of the evil one. Wow. What do you mean, Lord? Well... You don't need to add anything to support your words. If your heart is speaking truth, 
You don't need anything to back that up. Now, there are times that are appropriate, we already said this, to give a vow before the Lord as the seriousness of what we're saying. But typically in our day-to-day life, we don't need to make any kind of oath about anything. So it's better just not to throw God's name out there in support of our promise or anything else, but to just let our hearts spill out through our mouths the truth in every situation. We don't need to say things like, I swear. Or statements like this, I'll be honest with you right now. Now, I'm talking to my heart because you know how easy it is to let little phrases come into our mouths and little statements that we make and don't even think anything of that. And and that's innocent in itself enough, but the reality is we don't need to add anything to our words. That's what the Lord is saying. When you represent me, Jesus is saying, speak the truth just as it is and that will be sufficient and people will know that. They will recognize that about you and that you belong to me. Your words should be enough. When you open your mouth, your words should be words that everyone can trust without having to back it up with some other statement or some other phrase. And that should be the case always. That really should be the case always. Now, if you're a Christian and you're hearing this message but aren't serving God with your whole heart, you need to. That should be a no-brainer. That should be the reality because how we live will come out. How you live will come out in the presence of other people. That's what I was just saying. What you do, how you say it, how you conduct yourself, and your witness will either be positive towards God or it will be a false positive towards God. When you're in a serious situation before God, it's okay to hold, ask God to hold you accountable for this promise. I'll never forget the day that I stepped out of the church pew when I was in Lynchburg and had responded to the call of God after lots of prayer and lots of reflection and inner uh, looking at my heart and, and talking to the Lord. I'll never forget the day where I finally stepped out. It's my right leg. I was sitting on this side. My right leg went out and I walked forward and I committed my life to serving the Lord as a, as a pastor. And that moment for me was a serious moment when I asked God to hold me accountable for, to him, to himself. And that's what God is talking about in these other situations. But in our daily life, we don't need to say anything other than what the truth is. Did you know that God hates liars? That's what his word says. You say, that's pretty strong language. Well, I'm just telling you what the Lord says in Proverbs 6. There's six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination. Number one is haughty eyes. That's a proud look. But number two is a lying tongue. God hates a lying tongue. He hates it. Proverbs 12:22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. And look what happens to liars. In Revelation 21, you'll remember this from our study. The group that they're lumped with is just absolutely astounding. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Liars. Liars. Now, who's God talking about? He's not talking about those that are under the blood of Christ that accidentally do things or say things. He's talking about those people who perpetually in a regular part of their life live in these ways. 
They are the regular people. They're, they're people who just persistently and consistently live in these ways. And I'm sure this is not an exhaustive list. Basically, anyone without Christ. But liars is lumped in there. So this is a serious subject. As you may be sitting here this morning and saying, yeah, this just doesn't really apply to me. Everything the Lord says applies to us. Amen? Because you may be further down the rabbit hole than you think you are until you start paying attention. I don't know. That'll be between you and the Lord. Now, if you're not a Christian, here's a message for you, and that is you're not okay. If you're not a believer, you're not okay. Don't fool yourself into thinking you're on your way to heaven because your life is pleasing to God when you're not a believer, when you're not a person who's living the truth, a person who shades the truth or dodges it here, tells half-truths, makes excuses, all the things that Jesus is pointing out here. If that's you and that's the consistency of your life, there's room to be concerned. And I'll tell you this, beloved. We're living in a day now, uh, Susan and I were just talking about it just a second ago, about some of the things that are happening in California. Uh, If you've been watching the news, you know that the governor there has made some very strong claims that the church cannot and will not meet uh, indefinitely, basically. There's a lot there that you can read about and know about. But here's the truth. The truth is the leadership of the country is not the God of the church. There is one God of the church. His name is Jesus Christ. Right? Now, what am I bringing up? I'm saying this because when you and I go out into the marketplace of life and we're not living pure lives with our words, the world sees that. And the world wants to question our God. Now, I know what's going to happen, and we need to pray for the churches in California because it may very well come here soon where there's this battle that begins to occur between the government and the church over whether it is right for a church to meet or not. And what's going to happen, and we know this from Revelation and from other scripture, that the people who are the true believers are going to become an irritation to the world. That's what's going to happen. The world is going to get tired of the people who buck the system, buck the laws. And they're going to continually attack God's people. It is critically important for you and I to make sure that we are always truth tellers we just say the truth in love and patience and grace and mercy that we reflect the Lord Jesus Christ well in everything that we do because the world is going to separate us it's going to come it may not be in our lifetimes I don't know what it's going to look like only the Lord knows that what we do know is that it's coming and we're seeing it opening much more widely in these days And that's what we're feeling. We're feeling the pressure of, how do I respond to all of this? How do I live in this culture when there are things that I don't agree with? Well, one of the things we've got to do is we've got to make sure our words are very carefully chosen based on truth. Truth that we know to be the case, which is by definition the truth. Okay? All right. So, let's be truth tellers. Amen? Just let your word be good enough. That should be sufficient. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for your word. And I I pray, Lord, through my fumbling that you would help uh, just push away the human frailties and that you would speak into the hearts as you would have have your spirit speak. Lord, we need the clarity of your word in these days. 
we need to be people of your word. And we need to be carefully monitoring our hearts daily, minute by minute, understanding that we are constantly under your eye. Lord, thank you that the debt of our sin has been paid. This is not for God's people when we fail a judgment unto damnation, but it certainly will be a judgment unto our good works that give that are our blessings that are given to us in eternity. But mostly right now we want to live circumspectly so that the world sees us and our good deeds and wants to be a part of your kingdom. And it begins with our tongues. It begins with being careful about what we say and how we say it. So Lord, do your work always as you do in our hearts. And may you be honored and glorified today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.